Men, thanks for listening to our 920 Man Challenge podcast. These are Bible teachings that are meant to be discussed alongside other men in community at our Blankenbaker Man Challenge gathering, where we prioritize developing a competent and confident understanding of who Jesus is and authentic and intentional male relationships. We hope this teaching of God's Word grows your relationship with the Lord, and we urge you to unpack it in your relationship with others. Enjoy! All right, good morning. Morning, guys. Uh, Welcome to Man Challenge. We are in week 10, so we are double digits. Uh, Just come on in, grab your seats. Uh, We're in week 10, and we'll be finishing up chapter 3 of 2 Timothy this week, which means we are cooking. Uh, A few weeks left, and the semester's already over, which is pretty wild. Uh, A couple updates for you guys real quick, and then I've got a real short story, and then we'll bring out our teacher for the week. Um, Updates, there is a table leader luncheon Tuesday, November the 2nd. Um, If you're a table leader and don't know about it, now you know about it. Uh, Check your emails. We need to register for that because they're going to provide food. Um, It's at noon, Tuesday, November 2nd. Just one opportunity to encourage and pour into uh, you guys. So register for that, if you will, if you're available. Uh, Secondly, we have a group of about 15 or so guys over in the Dominican Republic right now um, with partnered with Go Ministry doing a mission trip. Uh, They left, I think, last Saturday and still have a few more days there. Um, Just on that note, if if you look around and notice maybe you're, you're missing a dude from your table and they're across an ocean at the DR right now, maybe prioritize that as a table, like praying over them this morning maybe praying for their families. Uh, I know of one mama whose husband's over there who's got three kids here and a business she's trying to run, and her plate is to the max. And so there's a lot of families sacrificing here so that those guys could be over there pouring into others. Uh, so let's just be faithful to praying for those guys, their families, and then just, again, being pragmatic about it. it, it if, if you look around and JR is not at your table, or Hunter's not at your table, and usually those guys are asking tough questions or leaning in or leading in vulnerability, maybe this is a week you can step up. Maybe in their stead, this is a week you can offer up some of the questions to kind of lead and drive conversation. So see this as an opportunity, uh, not to just get out of here early today because the the leader's out, but maybe um, to be challenged yourself to step up and lead. Uh, so, a little bit of my story that I've shared some of before. Um, when I was very small, my family went to a very traditional, small Church of Christ setting. We went there for a number of years. Uh, later, we went to Pentecostal, charismatic type settings. Uh, there weren't a lot of kids at those places where we went, and my mom thought wisely it would be great if there were some kids, my kids' age, they could hang out with. Uh, And so we started going to a small independent Christian church near our home. Uh, And so I would go there on Wednesday and Sunday nights, and that's where I made some uh, friendships that have lasted my entire life. Uh, But then on Sundays, I would alternate and go there or go with my dad to, again, these independent, or I'm sorry, these charismatic Pentecostal-type settings. And then... uh, I grew up and I marry into a family that's almost exclusively Catholic. So denominationally, I've kind of been all over the board, all under the umbrella of Christianity. But a lot of folks telling me a lot of different things, all, for the most part, using the same book. And to be honest, it led to a lot of confusion for me um, in terms of, man, how do I read the Bible? How am I supposed to pray? Like, I know I'm supposed to do those things, but like practically how? Like, who's right? Who's wrong? Is anybody right? Is everybody wrong? Like, how does this work? And to be honest with you guys, it wasn't until I honestly opened up the Bible and read it for myself that I started to find clarity on a lot of the issues that prior I was confused on. Like, it wasn't until I got firsthand experience with our sacred text that I started to feel a lot more comfortable about what I said I believed. It wasn't what so-and-so told me it said. It wasn't what so-and-so said how I'm supposed to read it. It was when I actually opened the Bible and I prayerfully asked the Lord, will you help me to figure out what I'm supposed to believe here? And, and he was faithful. And so I, I, last time I emceed, I told you guys uh, that we are working on a men's conference 
And so we're going to do that in December. Um, and we polled you guys and said, hey, what's important to you guys? And what a lot of you guys said, what's important is we need help reading our Bibles. We need help praying. Like we need help discerning how to engage with culture around us. We need help trying to figure out, like we spend a lot of time in sports running all over the place with our kids and coaching. Like how do I leverage that for the gospel? And so we are going to uh, Saturday, December the 10th. We're going to spend a few hours just setting up environments where we can just walk through those things with you guys. Um, if you were with us over the summer when we went through spiritual gifts in the book of Ephesians, uh, Paul writes that Christ gave the church, he gave the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists and shepherd teachers to equip the saints, that's us, for the work of ministry. So we, we, we are asking some of our best teachers, some of our best shepherds here at our flock uh, to come in and pour into us men um, and walk us through like how to pray, how to read the Bible, how to share your faith, how to contextualize the gospel that whether you're an attorney or whether you turn motors in a mechanic shop, whether you're delivering mail for the post office, whether you're in surgery, whether you're in sales, uh, whether you're teaching some kids how to swing a baseball bat, like how do you contextualize the gospel so that you can share your faith with others? If we claim to believe this, how are we going to multiply? So that's, that's the hope of that conference, and we're going to do that again Saturday, December the 10th. Um, yeah. So with that, this morning I'm going to bring out one of our favorite teachers of God's Word. I said it wasn't until I got into the text myself that I really started uh, to find clarity in what I believe. And Joe Donaldson is one of the best guys, honestly, that I know at opening the Word of God and making sense of it and helping us be equipped to open it ourselves and do the same. So, Joe, some of the guys may have known you for a few decades here. Some of yeah. them may not recognize you. Tell us a little bit, who are you? Are you married? All that stuff. Uh, my name is Joe. That's like you said. I am married to Pam. We've been married for 30 plus years. And uh, it's not just that I don't know. She doesn't remember very well either. But uh, so I've been married 30. I have two adult children who are moved away. We were empty nesters until we decided it'd be a good idea to have her mom move in with us. And she's been with us for, you know, with God, a, a minute is like a thousand years or a, a vice versa. It's <laughs> kind of similar. So. And how, how old is she? She's 88. Okay, right on. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so are you on staff here at Southeast? Uh, I was for about 15 years, but for the last 16 or 17 years, uh, I, I, I left the church. It, uh, I got a cake. That's in the old days. If you got a cake, that means you weren't fired, but you're leaving on your own. So I got a cake, and uh, and uh, so uh, so we have my own ministry called the Potter's Wheel, and I just uh, do adult spiritual development. Uh, cool. Yeah. So practically, what does that look like? You have uh, that classes? means uh, that means you ask people to make donations, and you try to look like you're busy. Okay. So, so. All right. No, seriously, uh, I, I teach a lot. I lead retreats, and I do. I partner with a lot of other ministries. Uh, uh, come alongside them, help them doing what they're doing, and then uh, we also uh, we live on and run a little retreat house that some of these guys have been to called Hopewell House, just outside the Gene Snyder here. So that's cool. Yeah. What What about? I've heard of the Faces of Christ retreat. What is that about? Yeah, it's a retreat that you're going to go to in February. Uh, I've been told. And uh, it, we've been doing this retreat. It's similar to an Emmaus walk. Some of you may have heard of an Emmaus walk. Uh, it's a Thursday night through a Sunday uh, retreat that's all about understanding your heart. Uh, who, what do you believe about God and yourself? And we've been doing that for like 27, 28 years. Uh, uh, it started here at Southeast. It's not Southeast only, uh, but we do uh, three women's and two men's every year. And then we've done it elsewhere in the world as well. Awesome. Stuff. If if the guys wanted to get more information about the Potter's Wheel, those retreats, where where would they go? Yeah, you that? can Google the Potter's Wheel in in Louisville, Kentucky, and we come up. And on there, uh, there is the Faces of Christ retreat. There's Hopewell House. All those different information is on that website. Okay, yeah. so just Google it. That's helpful. Is that not the thing to say No, now? that's perfect. That'll work. They can find it. Uh, last question. You, uh, you do something else on Saturday mornings. What, what is that? 
uh, not have here breakfast. Every, every Saturday okay, we okay, have okay. a man challenge gathering. Yeah, yeah. So man challenge meets up here on Saturday morning and downstairs. Uh, Saturday morning men's Bible study has been meeting for 32 years every Saturday morning at 7 o'clock. Uh, Bob Russell started it years and years ago, and, uh, and so I've been teaching that for like the last, uh, ever since Bob kind of quit on life and just moved on, I've been doing that for the last uh, 14 years or so, so yeah. So, so you guys can, you, you get the picture, this guy is a teacher of God's Word, he cares deeply about uh, Christian formation, not mm -hmm. just learning about the Bible, but living this out. I yeah. am pumped to learn from you this morning, okay. brother, so let me pray for you and I'll get right. out of the way. Okay. Father God, thank you for Joe. Uh, thank you for the opportunity to open your word in 2 Timothy chapter 3 this morning and uh, to learn more about you and to learn really more about your word and how trustworthy of a foundation it is to stand on. Um, I pray that you would sharpen uh, Joe's mouth this morning as he mm -hmm. speaks. I pray that it, it, would, it would cut deep for us in a way that is sanctifying this morning. I pray that you would open our eyes and ears to receive the implanted word and uh, I know it does not return void. I pray, God, that you would use it to glorify yourself and uh, to make us into the image of Jesus. It's in his name I pray. Amen. 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 So, gentlemen, uh, oh, a few months ago, I was sitting with a friend of mine, and this is an older gentleman, and uh, he has been very successful at investing in the stock market for decades. And that's something I don't know anything about and uh, uh, things I have very little experience in. But I was just talking to him. And he's an interesting guy in a lot of different ways. But I'm talking to him. I said, uh, I'm just trying to think of questions. I said, so what's the, what's the most profitable investment you've ever made? And he right away came back to me. He said, well, back in the early 80s, uh, I, uh, I invested in, in some stock and it's, it's done pretty well. And I said, well, what do you mean? He goes, well, was, you know, it was back in the early 80s. It was, a, it was a new stock offering. It hadn't been available for very, very long. And, uh, and he, he bought two shares of it, just two shares, but they were fairly expensive. It cost him about $1,200 to buy these two shares. And, uh, and what he bought two shares of was Berkshire Hathaway, Warren Buffett's conglomerate. And he was Series A. He was, got in early, and he bought these two shares. And he, he said they've done really well. And I, thought, I just thought, okay. So uh, I, th I was thinking about this, this, this as my intro, and so I went this week and went back and looked online. And early this year, in late March, when the stock market was doing really well, those two shares that he bought for $1,200, their value earlier this year was over a million dollars. So if you're doing the math, they had... He had a thousand times over his investment, and you say, "Well, yeah, yeah." I mean, you know, Warren Buffett—that's that, that's really good. But you know, he didn't know that in the early '80s when he bought into it, and he made that commitment. I mean, it's twelve hundred dollars. I mean, in the '80s, that's you know, that was like twelve hundred dollars, and so that you know, that was. And he made that commitment, and then he stayed with it. I mean, through, through those forty years, he never like sold it when it profited. He has stayed with it, and uh, uh, you know, that taught me a little something there, and. Um, as I started thinking about it, I thought, well, if the Apostle Paul had been sitting with me and this guy and we were talking, he would say, you know, I don't know a lot about this stock market thing you're talking about, but I understand that when you make a commitment and then you stick with it for a long period of time, that can be very, very profitable. Actually, the Apostle Paul is going to tell us something about that in 2 Timothy chapter 3. If you have your Bible, turn to that, and we're going to look at a very profitable message from, uh, from Paul to Timothy. So, uh, you know, uh, as I'm sure Sam has said to you all several times, context is really important when we're looking through Scripture. And here we are, the, the general context is it's, the book is 2 Timothy. It's, it's Paul's letter to Timothy. Uh, and and the, the context for that is it's the last letter we have from him. It's very near the end of his life, and he knows it. And uh, he knows that Timothy is this younger man uh, that, that he's going to, he's already leading the church at Ephesus. He will be one of the main leaders of the church after Paul uh, dies, and he knows it's coming soon. And, and, and Timothy has some challenges, and uh, both outside and within, and, and, and Paul wants to encourage him and strengthen him. And so that's kind of the context of this letter. And then in the tighter context, we're in chapter 3, verse 10. And if you were here last week, you know, Bob taught through chapter 3, verses 1 through 9. And that passage was all about him saying to Timothy, hey, man, listen, the, heart, the end times are going to be hard. And you've got some difficult things coming up from you. And you've got some evil people. And you've got some people working against you. And you've got situations that are challenging. And, and so Paul's just saying to Timothy, you know, you know, hang in there. And he's, he's encouraging. And he's saying, listen, uh, 
in Christ, you have everything you need, but it's going to be challenging. And, uh, and so that was a very sobering passage. Paul's getting his attention and saying, let me tell you, it's going to be challenging. But then, beginning here in verse 10, and really for the rest of 2 Timothy, he goes back to really encouraging Timothy and says, okay, it's going to be hard, but let me encourage you. So that's where we pick it up today, uh, chapter 3, verse 10. Uh, so he says, you, however, talking to Timothy, you know all about my teaching and my way of life and my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, persecution, sufferings, what kind of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra. That's, uh, uh, Timothy is from that area. He has seen Paul in those areas when he first met him. He says, the persecutions I endured, yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. So he's saying, Timothy, listen, it's going to be hard, but when things get hard, you can really just look at my life. You, you were with me. You've seen, you've heard my teaching. You've been with me. You've seen how I responded to difficult times. You can just kind of look at me and remember how, how, to, how, how to carry this out. It's a pretty strong thing. I mean, Paul's basically saying, use me as an example, Timothy. And, uh, and I think, well, I guess Apostle Paul could say that. I mean, it's pretty legit. I mean, he's been through all that stuff. And so he's just saying to Timothy, Timothy, when things get tough, just, just look at me. And, and you, you can remember how I did things. And I think, well, yeah, that would be awesome if you were Timothy because, I mean, you've been with him for I mean, 15 or 20 years. You've been through difficult times. You've seen him beaten, but you've seen him come back. You've seen him uh, have difficult times. You, you've, you've been with him as he's writing letters. That and All this stuff. I mean, Timothy has so much to draw from, but as I studied through this and thought through it, I thought, yeah, but I don't have that. I, I wasn't there with the Apostle Paul. So that's one of the things about the, the, this Paul's letter is what's called a pastoral epistle. It was written very specifically to Timothy, not to me. Now, it, it, now I can glean things from it, but these letters are very personal and they're very specific. And so he's talking to Timothy and says, Timothy, you've seen me. You, you've watched the way I live. So just, just, just live out of that. And I think, well, yeah, that's cool. But I mean, I've read about Paul, I've read Paul's letters, but I wasn't there with him. So what does that do for me? And, and then I started thinking, I said, well, I, 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 I can't look at the Apostle Paul's life, but I've had Apostle Paul's in my life, uh, not apostles who wrote half the Bible, but, but, but people who lived their life in a way that I can say I, I can learn from that. When I thought through this, the first person I thought of was this little lady, and I say little because she's about this tall, her name is Linda Smith. She was a professor at Johnson Bible College. And I went there as a 27-year-old divorced guy wanting to go into the ministry. And she inspired me. She really, really encouraged me. As a matter of fact, I mean, I always wanted to teach, but she's the one who really helped me develop the passion to teach more than anything else. And, and so she was really encouraging. And then I, I, I met my Pam, who had become my wife, and she was there too, and she became like a mentor for the two of us. And we watched her and her marriage, and then we watched her raising her children, her two daughters. And it wasn't always easy, but she was always so gracious and faithful. And, and I saw her go through difficult times, and she's had a lot of them health-wise. Uh, some people kind of opposed her about some things. And she was always so gracious and hopeful, and, and I just learned so much from her. And I thought, that's my Apostle Paul. That's somebody who, when things are difficult, I can think, well, you know, how would Linda do that? You know, and I've learned a lot from that. Matter of fact, she's still involved in our life. 35 years later, she's still involved in our life. It's awesome. And then I think of my friend Bob. Some of y'all know my friend Bob Head. We've been friends for a long time. And as I've talked with him through the years, he, he grew up in an alcoholic home. And, uh, and so he always says, as kids, they would always play outside because inside was chaos. And so they, they, they would be outside, and uh, they lived down, uh, you know, down near Southern Seminary and uh, small yards, and next door was a little lady named Mrs. Wright. And, and Bob remembers that as a kid, uh, Mrs. Wright was just always nice to him. And as a matter of fact, they'd be out playing the yard. She said, Bobby, come on over, and he'd come over and sit on her front porch. And he says when he was with her, things were peaceful. She wasn't in chaos like his family was, and, and she was just kind, and she was interested in him, and she'd listen to him, and, and she would read Bible stories to him. And, and he, in those Bible stories, he'd heard some of them before, but they weren't the same as when she would read it to him, and she just really encouraged him. And, and as, he, as he grew into a teenager, he realized that she had this house, and she kept on adding on to it because she would have Southern Seminary students, and sometimes the whole families come and live with her so they could save money, and he's like, she's a servant to these people. And, and so as a little boy living in a chaotic home, he had this little lady next door who showed peace and, and care and interest changed his life, changed his life. 
And so what about you? Not everyone has somebody in their life that they can look to and say, you, they kind of help me see how to live the Christian life, but most of you do. So I want you to think to yourself, who in your life, not just a preacher that you've liked their sermons or a writer you've liked their books, but someone that you've seen live their life and you go, you know, I've learned a lot from them. I, I can see how they live and it helps me know how to live. So I'm going to pause here for about five, 10 seconds. And I want you to think, who is it in your life that you've been able to watch and say, that's how it is to live. So I'll be quiet. And so you just think silently, who is it in your life that's been this model for you? Maybe you have more than one, but as you, as you think about that person, here's a couple of thoughts for you. One, it's not one of your discussion questions today because uh, those questions were written weeks and weeks ago. But around your table, this might be something you want to discuss. Is, hey, guys, you know, who's, who's somebody who in your life has been that been after you? Maybe somebody at your table, but, but who, who's it been? And so I, I think it's really worthwhile to think about that. Secondly, if that person is still alive, I would encourage you to reach out to them and just say, hey, listen, I was just, this guy asked this question this week, and I started thinking about people who've been a model in my life, and that's been you. I think that'd be powerful for you to say to that. Uh, and, and then thirdly, just briefly, I want you to understand you quite possibly are that person for somebody else. And so I take that seriously. Don't, don't become nervous about it, but understand that people are watching. People in your family are watching the fact that, that you got up at some ridiculous hour and came in here for, 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 for this man challenge. And, and people are watching how you do business and how you live and how you relate to people. That, that's, that's not something to feel like a burden. That's actually, you realize, you know, people are encouraged as we live our life well. So Paul throws that out there to Timothy and say, listen, man, here's what's going on. I'm living like this, so, so, so you would do that. If we had more time, I think it'd be great just to pause right now and have you share, share at your table about that. But, but let's, let's keep going. It says here, so Paul's saying, hey, just, just, just look at my life, and that'll help you. Then in verse 12, he says this, uh, 12 and verse 13, he says, in fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. While evil men and imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. I'll let me read, read, read that again. He says, in fact, here's, here's, here's the deal, Timothy. Everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. While evil men and imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. He says, listen, Timothy, let me go back and remind you that if you're following Jesus Christ, it's going to be hard. It's going to be challenging. And boy, that was so true at the time that Paul was writing this. I mean, so Paul is literally in a prison cell waiting to be executed all because of his faith. The only reason he's there is because he's a follower of Jesus Christ. Uh, Timothy is the leader at this church in Ephesus that's in a pagan city, and he has all sorts of opposition coming against him. Uh, uh, you know, at, at that time, the Roman government, uh, which you know, ruled the world with an armed, fi uh, armed fist, was starting to press in against the church. That's, that's the reason Paul's there. The, uh, the religions, and not just Judaism, but all the religions were, were against Christianity because religions tend to be against each other. Uh, the culture was against them because believers in Christ says, you know, we're in the world but not of the world, and they were pulling out of things, and people saying, hey, why are you doing that? You know, why don't you like the rest of us? Uh, and even the church itself had false teachers already, had people taking advantage of the name of Jesus Christ to take advantage of people. Yeah, there was so much going on. And Paul's saying, just remember this, it's not going to be easy. You're always going to have challenges. And, uh, and that's still true today in many parts of the world. In many parts of the world, to name the name of Jesus is going to get you in trouble, maybe even cost your life. Now, I mean, we live here in Louisville, Kentucky. It's not, you know, we don't have that same type of person. Matter of fact, I, this is one of my pet peeves. It bothers me when I hear American Christians talk about how hard it is to be a Christian. I think it's almost embarrassing when we talk like that because, I mean, it's nothing like this or what many people in the world, but we do have opposition. It's not, not always out there. Sometimes it's, it's within us. For me, many times the opposition is my own flesh. Uh, but but he's, saying that he's saying to Timothy, listen, Timothy, you're, it's always going to be a challenge. Just, just, just get ready for it. And I think many, for many of us, we don't like that message. And many of us, when we're trying to be seeker sensitive, we say, man, if you come follow Jesus, 
you know, it's going to be amazing. Things are going to fall into place. Many of you felt that way when you accepted Jesus Christ. You thought everything was going to work and your prayers would always be answered and this and that. And I just think we need to remember that Jesus came to give us eternal life. He did not come to give us an easy life. He came to give us eternal life, not necessarily an easy life. And matter of fact, Paul says, listen, it's not going to be easy, Timothy. And, and, but, 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 but in the midst of this, he says, with that thought in mind, don't lose heart because you have everything you need in Jesus Christ. So here he goes, and now he's going to talk to that. Uh, verse 14, he says, but as for you, you know, it's not going to be easy, but you need to continue in what you've learned and have become convinced of because you know those from whom you, whom, whom you learned it. And how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. So he's saying, listen, Timothy, it's going to be hard. But as for you, you need to continue in what you've learned. You've you, you got to keep going. You, that, that word continue, he's saying, because he knows that Timothy is tempted to stop on this journey he's on. He says, no, you've got to continue. You gotta, you, 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 you don't stop believing. I think he's a foreigner fan. And so he said, so he said hang in there. You gotta go. You're going to have opposition, but don't stop. Continue. Hang in there. Keep going. And then he, and, but then he says, because, and I love this, because he's saying, don't, don't stop. Keep going. But he says, because, and he's going to tell him why. Why do you keep going? And he says, well, here's why. Because you know those from whom you learned it. And how from infancy you've known the Holy Scriptures. Now, you, you may remember that back in early in the Second Timothy, Paul talks about Timothy's mom and grandmother, Lois and Eunice. And those sounds like they're in a bowling league, Lois and Eunice. And, and, and he, he, says, he, says, he says, you know, and what we know about them is his mom and his grandmother raised him from a young boy to understand particularly the Old Testament because that's what would have been available to them. And they raised him up in this. And they gave him a passion for it. And Paul's saying, listen, don't stop, don't, don't, don't quit believing, don't, don't, you know, continue on because that's how you were raised. That, that's what you've always known. And he, he, said, he said, from infancy, you've known the Holy Scriptures. And he goes on to say, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. He says, listen, man, from a child, you've known about the whole, you've known God's plan. You've seen him working in your life. You were raised that way, so continue on. So essentially, he's saying, Timothy, when things get hard, what, what are you going to fall back on? I'll tell you what you're going to fall back on. You're going to fall back on the way, fact that your mother and grandmother raised you that way. You've always known this. And so that's, that's going to be your back support in a sense. Whenever you're tempted to walk away, no, 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 this is who you are. So how many of you have that kind of story in your life, that, that your, your because is because you were raised that way? You, you had a mother or a father, or maybe both, who really poured into you and, and helped you to understand God's word and God's plan for your life and, and, and how it's going to work, and, and they gave you a passion for God's word or God's God in life. How many of you said that that's, that's, that's your because? Okay, so we have, you know, like 30 guys in here. So the rest of us, that's not our story. Now, I was raised in a Christian home in that my parents took us to church, but they, they weren't Lois and Eunice. They didn't really have the ability or the passion to pour God's word into me. And so that's not really my because. And what's your because? What's my because? What, what, what is the, hey, when things get difficult, I'm not going to stop because of what? So I was thinking about that question this week. So I asked my wife, I said, honey, you know, what's, what's your because? And she goes, what do you mean? I said, well, I explained this passage. And I said, you know, so, so for you, when things get challenging and you're tempted to stop, you know, what, what's your because? You're not going to stop because. And uh, she thought for a moment. And she says, well, you know, God just keeps on revealing himself to me. God just keeps on showing himself to be who he is. And actually what's exciting is my wife is... Uh, She's younger than me, and she makes that clear all the time, but she's well into her 50s, and she has grown more in her relationship with, with God in the last five years than she probably had the previous 20 years. It's, it's cool that even as we get older, God continues and sometimes increasingly reveals himself to us. And she goes, that's my because, is because he just keeps on revealing himself to me. So I want to ask you this morning again to think. This is a harder question. What's your because what is, the, what is the backstop that's going to keep you from quitting when things get tough or when, things, when doubts enter your life? And you may say, well, I don't even know that I have one. Well, I think you need to start thinking about that. But what is it that I can rely upon? What's, what's my thing? What's my because that keeps me from just saying, I'm walking out of this? 
And again, this isn't one of your questions, but I think it's worth you questioning yourself and maybe even sharing it with another guy is, hmm, what is, it, what is my because? What is my because? Because I think that's really, really valuable. And for Timothy, Paul says, hey, listen, it's because you were raised that way and you understood that. And, and so then you understood what, what God's word is saying to you and, and, and your faith in Jesus Christ has, has changed everything. All right, so we pushed through those passages pretty quick so we could get to verse 16. Because verse 16 uh, is, is the best known verse in 2 Timothy. You know, all scriptures God breathes is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Matter of fact, as I thought about it, I thought, wow, that's, that's a really well-known. How many of you all have memorized that at some point in your life? Okay, yeah, I say at some point, meaning you don't have to still have it memorized, but you, know, you have at some point. Uh, and, and so I, you can go on, online. I guess, I guess you could Google it, but that sounds, seems to be the wrong thing to say, according to Sam. I don't know. But anyway, you can go online, and there's websites that rank Bible verses in popularity. In, in other words, they, based upon Internet searches. And based upon Internet searches, this is in the top ten in the whole Bible. Actually, it's number nine. It comes in at number nine. So they say this is the ninth most searched for verse in the Bible. Uh, it, makes, it makes it by far the most popular verse in 2 Timothy, and, and it's, it is pretty straightforward. It says, all scriptures, God breathed, is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. And so I thought, well, okay, this, this verse just begs to be, to be diagnosed. The guys were laughing at me. I love whiteboards. I love to write on the whiteboard. It helps me. It, it, it brings this teaching to become a little bit more visual. And so we're just going to go through this. It's pretty, it's pretty straightforward. It, 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 Paul just says, all scripture... But this is what's interesting. Now, this is kind of nerdy stuff. It's the sort of stuff that Sam really gets into. What, what, do, you think, what do you think he's referring to when he says to Timothy, Scripture, all Scripture? Anybody? What's, what's he referring to? It's the Old Testament because the New I mean, Paul, literally, it's in 2 Timothy. Paul's writing a letter. The New Testament hasn't been written. Now, parts of it have been written, but it's not been compiled at all. So when he says all scripture, he's definitely talking about the Old Testament. And that's what Timothy was raised with, was the Old Testament. But what's really, and that's my answer I would have given too, but what's interesting is Paul and the other apostles, they were already thinking beyond the Old Testament, which is really cool to me. Uh, if you just flip back a page for most of us, back into 1 Timothy chapter 5, listen to this verse that Paul writes in 1 Timothy, which is right before 2 Timothy. It's how it works. And uh, in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 17, uh, Paul's talking about you know, church leadership and all this sort of stuff. In verse 17, he says, the elders who direct the affairs of the church uh, well are worthy of a double honor, especially those whose work is preaching and teaching. I I've always loved that verse. <laughs> um, so uh, uh, anyway, and then verse 18 says, for the scripture says, do not muzzle the ox while it is treading out the grain, and the worker deserves his wages. So what Paul does there in verse 18, he says, Scripture is the exact same word, graphe, right, Scripture. He says, so Paul's saying, uh, the Scriptures say, and he says, do not muzzle the ox while it is treading out the grain. If you, probably already in your Bible you see that's from Deuteronomy, that's the Old Testament. But then he says, and the worker deserves his wages. You know where that's from? That's the words of Jesus. That's, it, it says in my Bible, Luke 10, 7. But when, G, when Paul wrote that, there wasn't a Luke. But he already knows the sayings of Jesus. He knows the teachings of Jesus. Quite possibly, some of those had been collected. and They were passed around between the churches. Maybe even the earliest forms of some of the Gospels were being sent out. And, and so Paul here in 1 Timothy is already saying that well, the Scripture says this. And he quotes the Old Testament, but then he quotes Jesus. And he says, sees this quote of Jesus as being a part of the Scripture. Peter... Uh, in his book, Second Peter, which again comes right after First Peter, right after uh, Hebrews and James, uh, in his book, and, and you know Peter and Paul butted heads every now and then, but here's what he says in Second Peter chapter 3, verses 15 and 16, he says this. He says, bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation, just as our dear brother Paul also wrote you with wisdom, that God gave him. So he says, listen, Paul's written a lot of great stuff. God's given him that wisdom, kind of inspired him. And then he goes on to say in verse 16, he says, he writes, meaning Paul, he writes the same way in all of his letters, speaking in them of these matters. Now his letters contain some things that are hard to understand. I agree with Peter on that. Sometimes Paul, man, you went right over my head with that. I have to read that again. So Peter says, you know, sometimes it's hard to understand. And then he goes and says, which ignorant and unstable people distort 
as they do the other scriptures to their own destruction. So Peter's already saying Paul's letters, they're scripture. Now, again, I don't know that they were worried about the biggest definition of it, but what I'm saying is, as they're writing this, they know the Old Testament is scripture, and they have a sense that scripture is still being written. They have, a, they have a vision beyond the Old Testament because they know this gospel message needs to be written down. And so it is. He says, they say all Scripture, and uh, this is interesting, this, this little Greek word for all means all. <laughs> it's all Scripture is God-breathed. And, and I think, I have to say that there's certain, there's certain parts of Scripture that I like more than others. I love to teach the Gospels. I, I, I enjoy teaching Paul's letters. I, I like some of, the, uh, some of the stuff in the Old Testament, particularly, you know, just the stories. I love teaching those stories of judges and this and that. But there's other parts of Scripture that I'm just less comfortable with, that I'm, I, I'm less familiar with, I'm, uh, that are harder for me. And I tend to almost say, my favorite Scriptures are, guard, are God-breathed. But no, he says, no, all Scripture is God-breathed. You know, those parts in Leviticus that, you know, that kind of get bored with or those genealogies. He says they're all there for a reason. And he says the reason is they're God-breathed. Now, this is a really interesting word because it only appears once in the New Testament, this one place, this God-breathed. And it's a compound word. What's really interesting about it is it appears almost nowhere in Greek writing at all. It's a very rare word. It's almost like Paul made up his own word. You know, and some of us are like that. We kind of like to make up our own words. But Paul did. He, he, he kind of made a compound word, God breathed. It's, it's two different Greek words. One, theos for God, and then pneumos, or, you know, where we get pneumonia, pneumatic. It's the things of, of, that have air involved. He says it's theos pneumos, God breathed. And so he's saying, listen, all of Scripture is breathed out by God. It's inspired by God. It's, it, 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 even though... Even though it's this book that you have here has 66 different books written over a period of about 1,500 years by about 40 different people, three different continents and three different languages, Paul says, yeah, but all of it was breathed out by God. Now, now God allowed them to have their own uh, vocabulary and their own writing style. You know, as, as one, I heard one person say, it's fully God, but it's also fully Paul and fully Peter and fully, you know, whoever these other writers are. But it's, 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 it's God-breathed. So, right, so, so all Scripture is God-breathed. That, that's significant because yeah, I have another book of here I really like, but it's not God-breathed. Now, I, I think maybe, the, maybe God inspired this guy, but it's not God-breathed. And so that makes Scripture. So it says it, it's God-breathed, and then it goes on here. And then it says is useful. All right, so it's God-breathed, and, and it's useful. At least that's what my NIV says. I love the NIV. I've always taught out of it. I'm very comfortable with it. But what does your translation say? What's a different word for useful? Yeah, profitable. What, what are you reading from? ESV. That's, that's smart people read the ESV. That, that, that's, that's just a sign. If you read the ESV, it's that you, you care or somebody gave it to you. I'm not sure what's true for you. But, but, but and so, 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 so instead of, of useful, because useful, there's difference there. Useful feels kind of, kind of like it's handy. And so, I mean, I, I, I got some duct tape up here. That's useful. All right. I, 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 you know, I'm an old guy from Kentucky. I carry a handkerchief because it's, it's useful. I know none of you all do. Uh, we, we surveyed you all once. Uh, preparation H is useful. Okay. I mean, I mean th those things are, are handy. I mean, it, it kind of gets you through a tough one. But I mean, I mean, God's word is something bigger than that. And so, so, so this, and again, it, it, they're, they're both you know, somewhat accurate, but I, I do like the way the ESV and the NAS and a bunch of different translations say, say it's profitable because I like that. I, I like that, that image of, you know, if you invest in this, there's a profit to it. I mean, it, it, that's a stronger word to me. And he said, listen, God's word is profitable. I mean, the scriptures, I mean, they, they you will profit from it. And how, in what areas? And well, well I want to make sure I well, I think I know these. Well, y'all help me out. It's profitable in four things. What are they? All right, teaching and rebuking. Two more. What was that? Oh, yeah, correcting and, and training in righteousness. All right. So what's interesting about these four words, they just seem like four random words, but what's really cool about them is teaching and rebuking 
they, they, they seem to have, they, they, they kind of involve doctrine. And, and, you know, so, and so God's word is really handy when it comes to what do we really believe. And God's word is really handy when somebody's saying, well, you know, Jesus Christ wasn't really God. Well, hold on, no, 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 no. The, the Bible says, no, he is fully God. And so you can rebuke somebody with that, you know. And, and, and teaching is, is hopefully what we're doing today is we're talking through this is what God's word says. And so that helps us know what we believe. And so, so you have both a positive with teaching and a negative with rebuking. This is to tell people you're, you're wrong. And this is to tell people what's right. And it has to do with doctrine. Whereas these two, correct and training, they tend to have a little bit more with, you know, just kind of uh, life or practice. You know, this is, this is just how you live. And again, you have a, a negative and a positive. I love this word correcting because it literally means uh, making a crooked line straight. And I, and, I, and I love that passage because my sense is we got some crooked lines in the room this morning. You know, some of you, your life has been certainly in the past and maybe even still to this day with a lot of crooked lines. There's, there's a, you know, you're going back and forth all around. You're, you, you know, you're kind of just bouncing off of things, particularly even with your, with your decisions or with your ability to follow after God. And it says, you know, God's word helps us straight, straighten that line out. And I know that in this room are some guys who your life is a lot more straight today than it was in the past because of what you've learned in God's word. And Paul says, man, it's, it's really profitable for that. It's not just useful, it's profitable. I mean, and if you apply yourself to it, that crooked line gets straightened out. I, I just, I, again, I think it's something that you might just want to ponder and say, you know, how is knowing God's word help straighten out some things in my life? I know it has for me. I, I, my sense is it's done that for you as well. And so kind of straightened out those lines. And so, so we, we got these four great words. And he says, listen, all scripture is God breathed. I mean, it comes from God. It's profitable, man. If you invest in it, you'll probably, and it's profitable for four things, for teaching, rebuking, that's about doctrine, and for correcting and training, it's about living your life. And Paul says, man, God's word is, is great for that. But he, but he doesn't just stop there. He goes on, uh, I'm sorry, in the wrong wrong book. He goes on to say, it, it, it's profitable both things. And verse 17 says, so that, or in order that. So Paul's saying, hey, listen, teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training, in order that, you know, there's a, there's, it's going gonna, it's gonna to produce something. So all this is, is kind of pointing to something. It's pointing to what? It's pointing to, it's pointing to that so that the man of God, that's you, by the way, all right, man of God, may be thoroughly equipped, thoroughly equipped. When you hear that word, when I read it, the first thing I thought of was my friends, Kurt Souter and Eric Schonsberg. They created this discipleship curriculum here at Southeast, which is this, this uh, it used to be uh, almost two years and now they've backed it down uh, to be a little bit shorter. And it's a training thing for it to take men like you and me and say, you know, we're going to try to train you. And they made the title, so you will be thoroughly equipped. So you read through the Bible, you read through some books, you memorize some stuff, you share with a group, you have some training, you, you teach a lesson. And they say, we want to do everything we can to thoroughly equip you to live life. And, and they pulled it right out of this verse. And I love that, that thoroughly equipped. Uh, and we understand what that is. Uh, you know, I was thinking... Uh, if you're looking to buy a used car and you're looking at the advertisement, they'll say, oh, this car is fully equipped. In other words, it's got all the options. It's got everything you need. Or you, you go to rent an apartment and they say, well, this apartment, the kitchen is thoroughly equipped or completely equipped, fully equipped. Uh, we understand in your training, uh, uh, how many of you are in the medical world? Doctors, nurses, whatever. You got a few of you in here. Hopefully you're thoroughly equipped. You know, you're, you're trained up. You didn't just start off doing this. You're not learning by error. You're thoroughly equipped. Most of you are equipped in some way in what you do professionally. And so, so we understand what this is. This, this is I'm, you're, ready to, you're ready to do it, and you're ready to do what? You're ready to do what? Well, we're thoroughly, thoroughly, thoroughly equipped for every good work. In other words, Paul is saying, listen, if you know your Bible, it'll teach you and correct you and rebuke you and train you, and you're going to be equipped to do everything you need. And he's saying this to Timothy. Listen, Timothy, there's times you feel like you don't have what it takes. Let me tell you, 
You got what it takes. In Christ, with God's word, you got everything you need. You are thoroughly equipped to lead this church. You're thoroughly equipped to move forward. You're thoroughly equipped to help continue on my ministry after I'm gone. And he's saying the same thing to us, guys, because it's really easy for Satan to say, well, you don't have what it takes, or you, you, you can't do this, or that's for other people. And Paul's saying, no, 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 no. In Christ, through his scriptures, that's God-breathed. I mean, it, 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 you, you, can, you can earn a tremendous profit in teaching, rebuking, correcting, training, and you're going to be thoroughly equipped to do whatever God's made for you to do. But late, earlier in Paul, earlier in Ephesians, Paul writes, you know, that, that, that God has he's handpicked you. You're chosen by him to do good works. That's what he's created you for. And he says you're also thoroughly equipped. I, I love that passage. This is a great passage of Scripture because it inspires you to move forward. And God's Word is a big part of that. So uh, uh, back in the 18th century, there was a French philosopher named Voltaire. You've probably heard of him. And he was uh, wildly famous, very, very significant, particularly in Europe, specifically in France, but throughout Europe. And he was a part of the Enlightenment movement, very, very influential philosopher, brilliant writer, wrote a huge amount of plays and, and satire and all sorts of stuff. Uh, and, but also he hated Christianity and the Bible because he felt like religion, but particularly Christianity and the Bible, held culture back. And that if we could get rid of these, these religions, that people would be set free for this enlightenment period and they would move into a greater state of uh, enlightenment. And uh, so throughout his life, he, he kind of worked against the church and against the Bible. Uh, matter of fact, the, one of the last things he wrote, right about the time that the United States became a nation, 1776, he, he produced uh, one of his final works, which was a two-volume commentary on the Bible. He didn't do a commentary on the Bible to help explain. He did a commentary on the Bible to kind of uh, chastise it, to rebuke it, to, to show how stupid it is. And he, he went through kind of book by book showing how silly this is to believe such a thing. And it was pretty well received. He was a, a very popular, uh, influential person. And it was really his goal. He had said to several friends and other people, his goal, his desire, is to, is, and, and his thought was that within a hundred years, the Bible and Christianity would be like the setting sun that drops over the horizon, never to be seen again. He says, I think that within 100 years, the Bible will just be something you'll see in a museum and not something that will have any impact in the world. That was his desire. And he really thought that, that if himself and other people can continue on, that that might happen. Uh, well, uh, a few years after that, he just passed away. I mean, he was an old gentleman, passed away of natural causes. Uh, and so, so he died. And, uh, but what's really ironic is he wasn't quite correct about the Bible going away. What's really ironic is uh, he had several homes in part because he was always on the run because government officials would get, and the church would get tired of him saying bad things, so they kind of run him out of town. And, and so one of the places he lived for quite a while was Geneva, Switzerland. You know, it's always good to go to Switzerland if you're being chased by somebody. So he had a chalet in, in Switzerland, but when he died, it, was, it just kind of went for sale. And a family, is actually his, his doctor there in Switzerland, a wealthy family, they bought the house. They thought it was really cool. They were fans of Voltaire, and, and there is, they own a house that he lived in, and that was kind of cool. And, uh, but what's interesting is along the way, within the next generation or so, they became believers in Jesus Christ. And so the house got handed down to one of their sons, who was a passionate believer in Jesus Christ, actually became a part of the Geneva Bible Society that were producing Bibles and sending them all over the world. So here's what's really interesting about this. Voltaire, who believed that the Bible would go away, his own house became a storage facility for the Bible Society. You know, so within about 50 years of his death, his house was being used to store Bibles to be sent all over the world. What's really ironic as well is uh, Voltaire was, he printed a huge amount of pamphlets and different things, and so he had his own little printing company. But when he passed away, it was all about him, and so when he passed away, there wasn't really, really reason to keep this, these printing presses, and he even had a huge stockpile of paper that had been set aside for some of his stuff. But when he died, it was all useless, and so again, his organization just sold it off. And again, this is in one of the little towns in France where he lived. It was, some of it was bought up by a Bible society. So not only was his house being used as a storage place for Bibles, but his own printing presses and excess paper were being used to print Bibles. You know, Voltaire believed that maybe him and others could eliminate God's word, but it didn't happen. And it, 
still hasn't happened. And this book that you hold in your hands or you have on your app, whatever, however you have it, is no ordinary book. I mean, it's, it, the people have tried to get rid of it. People have tried to extinguish it. People have tried to uh, minimize it, but it just keeps going. It, it's by far the number one seller in the world. Actually, it's the number one stolen book in the world as well. Uh, it's just an interesting fact. I mean, it's, do uh, you know where, what nation prints the most Bibles in the world? China. Now, you can't take one into China, but they're printing them more than anywhere in the world. And my sense is God's saying, yeah, just give me time. And they're, they're going to be all over the place there as well. Because this is no ordinary book. And I would say to you that the Apostle Paul would say, and you hold it in your hands, it's right there. And if what you have in your hands is incredibly profitable, but you have to, like my friend, invest in it, commit to it, and then stick with it. Stick with it. And I would say to you, it's not, it's not just a matter of reading it, even though that's kind of the starting place. It's really allowing it to read you. It's not just memorizing it. It's allowing it to look into your life and say, hey, you know, this part, this part of you is still a crooked line. Let's straighten it out. And God's word, he's so gracious and kind, but he wants to come alongside of you and say, let me speak to you about your life. Let me speak to you about your life in me. Let's talk about how to live this life. And I think the Apostle Paul and my friend who made the investments would say, that's the greatest investment you'll ever make. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this day. I thank you for this chance to just talk about you and your word. And I pray for these men right now as they share at their table that they would be open to your spirit. And they would be remembering these people that they've looked at and, and followed after their life. And, and they, they will begin to think more and more about their because, what they hang on to, what, what their backstop is. And, and that they would make themselves available to this word, to this living document you've given us that, that expresses yourself in ways that we can't totally understand. Lord, help us to be men who are open to your word speaking to us. All these things we're praying in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's Bible teaching from Man Challenge at the Blankenbaker campus of Southeast Christian Church. For more information on how to get involved, reach out to us via the email address in our podcast description or find us on social media.